Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about what all leaders need to know about compliance and why it's important. With me today is Tom Fox. Tom is literally the guy who wrote the book on compliance with the international compliance bestseller, The Compliance Handbook, Third Edition, which was released by LexisNexis in May 2022. Tom has authored 25 other books on business leadership, compliance, and ethics, and corporate governance, including the international bestsellers Lessons Learned on Compliance and Ethics, and Best Practices under the FCPA and Bribery Act, as well as his award-winning series, Fox on Compliance. Tom leads the social media discussion on compliance with his award-winning blog, and is also the voice of compliance, having founded the Compliance Podcast Network. Welcome, Tom. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks very much, Mike. To get us started, can you share a little bit about how you became the compliance evangelist? I started work in compliance, like many people, in a roundabout way. I became a general counsel of a company in 2007 that, at that point, had sustained the largest violation of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which is the U.S. anti-corruption law for businesses doing work outside the United States in the history of the world ever. It was 27 million. It's not even in the top 30 now. But back then, it was a big deal. Also, back then, you didn't remediate or fix the problem with your company until after you'd settle with the government. Now you do it simultaneously during the investigation. I was the new management team that was brought in to create a compliance program. And that's where I learned about compliance building out compliance programs inside of a corporation. We had a monitor, so we had very robust government oversight. I did that for a few years. The company was sold. My job went away, and I decided what I really wanted to do with my life was race bicycles. I was over 50. I could ride in the senior division. So I went off on this great adventure. I did that until uh, one training ride, I was taken out by a Hummer. So that ended my cycling career. And uh, after convalescing for a few months, When I got the strength to get on my walker and toddle into my office, I decided that what I really enjoyed about my work was building compliance programs inside of a corporation. This was 2010. There were very few lawyers in private practice who did that type of work at that time. In compliance back then, they either did investigations or negotiated with the government. I've always worked on the civil side of things. I didn't think I was really good in a criminal setting. And investigations require bodies, and I was a solo guy. So um, I became the nuts and bolts guy. And because I was laid up, all I had on my hands was time. So I started social media. I started blogging. That led to a couple of books. In 2012, I started podcasting. So I've always had this very uh, forward-looking social media outreach. And what I realized was I, I really enjoyed doing compliance work. And of all the things I've done as a lawyer, I've been a trial lawyer, I've been an in-house lawyer, I've been a transactional lawyer, I've been a software lawyer, I've been a general counsel lawyer. The thing that it really uh, I'm passionate about is compliance. Uh, in the Greek, in ancient Greek, evangelist is the bringer of the good news. And so I've called myself the compliance evangelist because I see that as the good news about doing business ethically, literally across the globe. In my experience, I've seen a lot of leaders and employees view compliance as an annual online training event and a check-the-box type activity. Why is this approach and mindset really dangerous for your organization? The UN estimates that $3 trillion is lost to the world's economy annually from bribery and corruption. 
If you add in money laundering, it's another two trillion. And so there is a huge problem of anti corruption and money laundering. I've always worked in and around energy companies and corporate America. And I believe the answer is with businesses. And certainly regulators have a role bringing enforcement actions. Commentators have a role, but businesses have a role too. And having a compliance program inside of a business, effective compliance equates to efficient, more efficient business process equates to greater ROI. So properly seen as a business process, not as simply a one-time tick-the-box exercise that I have to go through because the government says I do, but as a business process, it will make your company more efficient and more profitable. In addition to being dangerous to the organization, can individual leaders or executives be held liable for failing to meet compliance regulations? Absolutely. Uh, Interestingly, the United Kingdom, under their act called the Bribery Act, they have a a failure to prevent uh, law. Uh, We don't have that here in the United States, but in the United Kingdom, it's it's more strident. Here in the United States, they're typically, for a, a senior executive to be prosecuted individually, they have to have been involved in the uh, bribery scheme. And unfortunately, from time to time, they are involved. The Department of Justice has said they are going to broaden that out to those who either should have known or should have stopped it. Uh, But right now, uh, we've got a huge trial coming up this fall with two executives, former executives from a company called Cognizant Technology. And when I say senior execs, CEO and general counsel. So yes, unfortunately, they can. Their greater liability, though, is on the civil side of things. Okay. So now that we understand a little more about the importance of compliance and uh, what can happen if it's not strongly embraced, what should leaders do and be focused on in their organization to be better? Leaders set the tone. And they don't have to get into the weeds. They don't have to get into the day-to-day. But they have to make clear that we are going to be an ethical company. We're going to do business in compliance with not only U.S. law, but our own internal controls. And by doing so, we will become a stronger company. We are going to incentivize employees to do business in compliance. We're going to give a part of our annual discretionary bonus will be a compliance component as well as other components. And uh, if someone either violates our internal compliance laws meaning our policies and procedures, or violates U.S. or other law, uh, that's not going to be tolerated and they'll be fired. So the role of the leader is really to set the tone. And probably the best example I can give you, I, I had a client once and the CEO said, oh, I'm the ambassador. And I said, that's it. That's the And that's the best answer I've ever had. You are the ultimate ambassador for this company doing business ethically and in compliance. So with so many organizations conducting business and forging partnerships in countries all over the world, and you've touched on this just a little bit, what are some of the biggest things that leaders should be thinking about to insulate their organization and protect their employees? By having an effective compliance program in place, which hopefully prevents, but even if it doesn't prevent, detects a violation, that's the best thing you can have in place. Because if you have a program and it detects a violation, and you self-disclose that to the U.S. government, the default response, meaning their first response is going to be to give you a clean pass. Legally, that's called a declination. So having an effective compliance program in place, and as 
the government speaks to us usually quarterly, sometimes even more often. But as recent as January, they recommunicated that it's the having internal controls that detect if they haven't prevented and then self-disclosing to the government. That's what will protect your organization. And that's having an effective compliance program. Are there any specific things that leaders or organizations should be doing when it comes to some of the stuff we see in the news these days about, you know, the onset of artificial intelligence or cybersecurity risks, things like that, or maybe even physical security? Uh, really like the way, you, yeah, the, the way you frame that question, because you gave me several different areas. Or as a lawyer, I would say, well, that's multiple questions. Which one do you want to ask? But as a business leader, that's exactly what you do have to ask. You have to ask multiple questions. You have to ask into multiple areas. And you have to ask, how do I manage those risks? Because those are risks. And once you identify a risk, you assess your company's risk in that area. And then you put in a risk management strategy. So whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's AI, whether it's physical security, all of those are different risks you have articulated and you need to figure out where are our company's risks. So if it's physical security, and I almost hate to use this example, but China right now, they have literally arrested executives from US and other Western companies. If you go to China, you're literally, your physical security may be at risk and you would have no way to know it. You, you might not know you violated a Chinese law or you might not have ever violated a Chinese law and you're still arrested. So that's, that's one thing. Obviously, data security is talking to your IT folks, talking to your chief information security officer, making sure your employees are not hitting phishing expeditions because that's still the most common way companies are exposed. So whatever your risks are, you need to manage those. And the leader today, I used to think pandemic sort of coalesced a lot of business ideas and concepts that have changed business. And I used to give talks on how the Russian invasion changed businesses forever. But over the past couple of weeks, I've been thinking it's changed leadership forever. Because one of the most prescient comments I heard coming out of the pandemic was we went from disaster recovery to business resiliency to business as usual. And that's absolutely right. It doesn't matter that New York State has had the worst flooding in 100 years. They've got one summer of rain in one day. Question is, well, are you going to be able to deliver tomorrow? And as a business leader, you have to, if not anticipate those events, be able to respond to those. So do you diversify geographically because of climate change? You know, whether it's a wildfire, whether it's a flood, whether it's anything or whatever it is, if it's a Russian invading Ukraine, if it's just now this insane competition slash potential conflict with China, whatever the event is, you as the business leader, people are really not going to care about, well, this is, you know, Tom, this is the 150 year freeze in Texas. Okay. I need my product tomorrow. And if I don't get it from you, I'm going to find somebody who can deliver. So that's, I think business leaders and leadership have had to change uh, as well. You've got to be able to look around corners now. Yeah. There's so many things that, you need to keep on top of as a leader and mitigating those risks and doing whatever risk management planning you can is definitely going to help your organization. Speaking of some of these bigger events or these unforeseen things that maybe nobody could have seen, we do know that 
these black swan events do occur from time to time, COVID being one of them. What should leaders be doing to prepare for that next black swan event? You have to have the process in place to respond. You have to have an executive leadership team that's that's ready to take on a new issue literally on a moment's notice. Now you can have subcommittees in specific subject matter areas. One of the top ones now is your cybersecurity risk. So if you actually modeled a cyber attack, for instance, and are you ready? Because it's not if, it's when. And four or five years ago, a cyber attack meant someone stole your customer's credit card numbers and sold them on the black web. Three years ago, a cyber attack meant we're going to freeze all your assets until you pay us a ransom. Well, now a cyber attack is, guess what? We have just stolen all of your IP and you can't come get us. So the risk ha has changed. And so you need to be able to respond to that risk. I mean, literally what happens if your IP goes out the door? Well, then you need to go on a campaign to make sure people understand this was our IP. We may not be able to legally go after those people. We will where we can, but you want to buy it from us because we're the trusted source. So there's a variety of responses, even to the evolution of cybersecurity attacks over the years. Yeah, I guess it's just going to keep changing. I didn't even think about it as you were talking about the history of things of how stuff has changed so much in just a, in just a few years time. So before we wrap up this episode, what else can leaders do today to help improve their organization's culture to support better compliance? Build a culture of trust. Because a culture of trust allows employees to raise their hand and speak up. There's been one academic paper that looked at responses of whistleblowers. And the academician who looked at that paper, a GW professor, uh, expected to see some incremental change in financial payments, i.e. fines and penalties. What he discovered was it's not whether you have a whistleblower line, it's whether you have a culture of speak up. And that culture allows someone to raise their hand and speak up, whether it goes means going into a supervisor, whether it means using hotline, whatever it may be. And he did find us a material, and I mean material change in fines and penalties of 20% reduction or average fines and penalties. But the more interesting thing was he found those companies were more innovative because employees were willing to speak up and suggest changes in business processes, which made companies more efficient and more profitable. And if you can create that culture of trust where if I raise my hand, one, I'm not going to be laughed at, two, I'm not going to be retaliated against, and more importantly, three, whatever I tell you you're going to consider doesn't mean you have to accept it but you'll give it a rigorous look at, that's where you have real change in a corporation because you now have invested everyone down the line, literally from the boardroom to the shop floor in uh, the company moving forward. And if you can create that culture of trust, I talked to a lot of people who say that in 2030, the key differentiator in the corporate world will be talent acquisition and talent retention. And that's around having employees with trust. I used to say, you better be able to work with data analytics. Well, you know, how 2022 a comment was that? I mean, now uh, with uh, AI and chat GPT, you can see exponentially the need for greater talent, more effective talent, and more focused talent. And the people our age will not be leading these organizations. It will be people who have mastered those tools. 
It's amazing to me how regardless of the subject and regardless of the guests that I have on on the show, often comes back to culture and trust. And that's that core of leadership, which you know we spend so much time talking about. Tom, thank you again for taking some time today and talk with us and share a little bit more about compliance and your experience and your advice. If anybody's interested in learning more from you, where can we point them to? So you can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Thomas R. Fox. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. And if you'd like the one-stop resource for all things compliance in the podcast format, check out the Compliance Podcast Network. Which I highly recommend. I'll add information about these resources into the show notes. In closing, I'd like to take a moment and thank our listeners. We wish you the best of luck as you move forward on your leadership journey. Please check back regularly for additional episodes.